Warning, this podcast contains graphic descriptions of violent events and offensive language. It may be disturbing for some listeners. In three days, I'll watch a man die. My name is Jeremy Campbell, and I am a journalist. I was asked to serve as the media witness for an execution of a man convicted of murder. During the next three days, his attorneys will fight for a stay of execution. That means they're trying to convince a parole board to delay the process. But unless they convince a very small group of people to overrule the court order, I'll be in the room when Marion Wilson Jr. becomes number 1500, the 1500th person executed in the United States since our country reinstated the death penalty 43 years ago. Wilson was sentenced to death by lethal injection for the murder of Donovan Parks, a 25-year-old found shot in the head in the middle of a residential neighborhood. That should be shocking on any block in this country. But in the small Georgia town of Milledgeville, well, things like that just don't happen here. It's the kind of place where Walmart is one of the biggest attractions, especially back in 1996, which is when all of this begins. According to the district attorney, Donovan met Wilson for the first time at Walmart around 9.30 on that March night. Donovan was there after church to buy cat food. Wilson and another man, Robert Butts, asked him for a ride. Sixteen minutes later, and Donovan was face down in the road, he was killed execution style, dead from a blast of a sawed-off shotgun. A few days later, a police search of Wilson's home resulted in a big find for investigators. They found a sawed-off shotgun loaded with the same type of ammunition used to kill Parks. They also found three notebooks of handwritten gang creeds, secret alphabets, symbols, and a photo of a young man displaying a gang hand sign. They determined Wilson was part of the Folk Nation gang, and killing a stranger may have been his motive to gain cred within that gang. That helped convince a jury to issue the death sentence, and I'm sure it's a fact that won't be lost on the parole board when they meet tomorrow. It's up to the four men and the one woman on that board to decide whether the execution should be carried out as planned in just three days, or if there's a good reason to delay it, or maybe... Just call it all off. Wilson's lawyers have a list of reasons that they're arguing he deserves more time. All these years since the crime, and Wilson claims that he never pulled the trigger. He says that Robert Butts did it, yet both men are convicted of murder. With just three days left before Marion Wilson's scheduled execution, we want to make sure that he and his family have a chance to speak their piece, whatever that may be. So we started looking into Wilson's family tree and calling his relatives, anyone we could track down. His aunt, Helen McLeod Watkins, had just read the news about this week's parole board meeting in her local paper. I got the paper today and the article of Brunswick News has in there about him. I told my brother, I said, if I knew that this was going to end up like this, I'd have done everything in my power to keep that child with me. But, you know, he might have got in trouble, but it would have never been that kind of trouble. It just hurt me to my heart. I think he would want the world to know that he, he, he could change it, what has happened to that man 
that was murdered, he would, and that he knows a God up there. He just made a bad decision. He chose a bad, just found himself in a very bad place. And I, as a human being, would ask that the parole board have mercy on this child's life. Maybe he could explain to other young people how not to find themselves in this situation. Maybe he could make some kind of penance if they gave him an opportunity to just to go and speak to young people. So maybe they would see, you know, life lessons that they don't have to find themselves incarcerated forever and stuff. You know, some things can change things, but I don't think killing changes anything. She could get what she's praying for. There is a possibility for a halt to the execution, or at least a temporary hold. It's within the realm of possibility. In fact, last year, the parole board did move to grant a stay for Wilson's accomplice, Robert Butts. It was issued right at the end, on the actual day of his scheduled execution. And that last-minute ruling essentially put things on hold for up to 90 days. Time just stopped, on pause, as the parole board figured out his fate. But that reprieve did not last long at all. The very next day, less than 24 hours into the 90-day stay, the board decided to move forward with his execution. Robert Butts was put to death by lethal injection exactly one day after being granted that stay. Marion Wilson's aunt believes that the justice system already killed the killer on that day with the execution of Robert Butts. And she told us what she says her nephew explained to her about that deadly night in Milledgeville. Once he said that he that he thought Butts was just robbing the man. Yeah, he, he said he didn't, you know, and I think... See, Marion was not from up there. He was up there, and he had went to school up there. And he knew nothing about that place up there, you know. So, you know, you, I guess you just when you go, when you're off from your surroundings, you, you have to be careful. You don't know what people do or who they, what kind. You just have to be careful of who you associate with and what kind of things they'll do because you don't know these people. We hoped his aunt may help us get a statement or a phone interview with Wilson himself, but even she is locked out. She told us that she's off his visitation list, and as much as she wants to tell her nephew goodbye, she doesn't have access to see him without her name being added to that visitation list. Even so, Marion Wilson's family doesn't seem to be spending too much time dwelling in the past about what happened. Wilson's cousin, Mahogany Benz, is looking straight ahead. She believes tomorrow's hearing could change everything. At this point, I have hope because of, because of the clemency hearing, you know. Usually in a situation like this, once they, they make a ruling, I mean, it's done. You know, and what I saw on, the, on my breaking news on my phone where it, you know, said that the parole board was going to do a clemency hearing, that gave me a lot of hope. Really, a lot of hope that something would change. Mahogany is about the same age as Wilson, 42. Growing up, we used to play together and ride bicycles. I mean, he, he was always a loving, a loving kid. When his, his mom and my uncle split, he kind of didn't have any supervision. And he just, he, he just, he just, he just, he just went wild. I mean, when a young man, he just, he just didn't have any 
any supervision. I was able to do pretty much what he wanted to. And once you're out, out there on in the streets or whatever in that life for a certain length of time, I mean, there's pretty much that's what you do. Pretty much what you do. Does she mean join a gang? Remember, police believe Wilson and his accomplice, Robert Butts, were in the Folk Nation gang, and Donovan Park's death was some type of level up or initiation. They even found all those gang symbols in his room. But his cousin says that doesn't sound like the Marion Wilson she knows. As far as I know, I don't know anything about his gang involvement, um, whether he picked that up. I don't believe he was in, in gang affiliated. I could be wrong because as he got older, he grew away and went his own way. So this really makes me look at the relationship between Wilson and Robert Butts. Were they friends? Or just two guys mixed up in something terrible? Even though Wilson's cousin says that she doesn't believe he was in a gang, Wilson himself told the Baldwin County Sheriff that he was not only a member of the Folk Nation, he was as high in the gang as he can be. That was actually part of his defense when he was interviewed by investigators. His claim was because he's so deeply rooted in Folk Nation. There is no reason he'd ever have to kill someone. Wilson said, and I'm quoting him here, ain't got to go no higher. Ain't got to do nothing to go no higher. Whatever the relationship between Wilson and Robert Butts, they sure turned on each other hard, each blaming the murder on the other one. Remember, Wilson claimed from the start that Robert Butts orchestrated it all as a robbery, then surprised him last minute by committing murder. Robert Butts told investigators that Marion Wilson made him do it. Security camera footage proves that both men really were in Donovan's car that night. The footage even showed Wilson had gloves on at the time. So we know they were both definitely in it together after the crime. We also know there was only one shot fired, only one blast from that sawed-off shotgun. That is the unusual fact that keeps me thinking about this case. Only one of the men actually pulled the trigger, but two men were sentenced to death for murder. There's something else, another fact that could have gotten Wilson parole by now instead of an execution order. First, the backstory. You already know that in court, both men blamed the other for the shooting. And even though they had separate trials, in both cases, District Attorney Fred Bright told jurors that the man on trial fired the fatal shot. He said this at Wilson's trial, and he said the same thing at Robert Butt's trial. The two separate juries had no idea they were hearing the same claim. How could both men have pulled the trigger? According to Wilson's statements, it was Robert Butts who pulled out a sawed-off shotgun inside that Acura. He says it was Robert Butts that demanded that Parks pull over on Felton Drive. And he says Robert Butts shot Parks once in the back of the head. Wilson's lawyers go into all of this in a case file submitted to the parole board. It states that the prosecutor, Fred Bright, believed that Butts was the more culpable party. The document says that well before Wilson's trial was set to begin, he offered Wilson a parolable life sentence. Had Wilson taken the plea deal, he would now be applying for parole rather than asking for a stay of execution. So why didn't he take it? Well, the attorney writes that Wilson turned down the plea out of fear that, and I'm quoting the document here, 
as a young, small-statured inmate, he would be endangered in general population at a maximum security prison. So this means that at age 19, Wilson declined the offer that would have made him eligible for parole after about 20 years. Now, he's 42 and scheduled to be the 1500th person to die by execution in modern America. According to Wilson's attorney, the prosecutor never offered Robert Butts a plea deal, although he writes in the document that Butts' attorney begged for one. Once Wilson turned down the deal, it was over. The window of opportunity closed. Prosecutor Fred Bright sought the death penalty for both Wilson and Robert Butts. The jury decided it from there. Twenty-three years later, and Wilson's family has something to say. His cousin shared this message for all of those still grieving Donovan Parks. I would like the Donovan family to know that um, my family is sorry for the pain that they have been through and that they will continue to go through um, long after Mary is executed. And after the other gentleman was executed, you know, there's no way I can change the hurt that they will always go through behind this situation. But I would ask them to forgive my cousin for the role he played. I don't think he deserves his life to be taken. I mean, maybe he, he was with the, with the gentleman and at the wrong place at the wrong time. But um, he, was, he, he was not violent as far as I know. His cousin, Mahogany, told us a lot about the Marion Wilson she knew decades ago. But what's he like now? She says she's not in touch with him. The only way we know to hear from him is to reach out to his attorneys. We want to ask for an interview with them about the case and also find out if we can somehow get Wilson on the phone from within maximum security to give his version of everything that happened. That's easier said than done. This is a man with several attorneys listed on court documents going back 23 years. Our producers, Kira and Maddie, begin tracking them all down one by one. What's the name? Uh, Mark. Welcome to Verizon Wireless. Your call can now be completed. Would you like to try the last one? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. This is Autumn Nero. You sure we haven't called her already? I'm positive. Hi, uh, yes ma'am. My name is Kira Frisby. I'm a journalist with Tegna, and I'm trying to get in contact with attorney Autumn Nero um, in regards to a project that we're working on. Autumn is out of the office today. Uh-oh. Would you like to leave a message on her voicemail? Sure, that would be great. Please state your name after the tone, and Google Voice will try to connect you. This is Kira Frisby. While we wait on a reply any chance at all to hear from a man who I'll watch die in three days. We discover something, and it's quite significant. Marion Wilson, the man who spent the past 23 years behind bars, has a 23-year-old daughter. Her name is Taikisha Wilson. She wasn't even born yet on that 1996 night when her father and Robert Butts murdered 25-year-old Donovan Parks. Her birthday is one month after the crime. Wilson's child is a young woman now. Her memories of her father are all inside a state prison. 
visits with dad protected by guards, holidays decorated with razor-sharp barbed wire. Today, we found out she had turned to Facebook to share a message about her dad. It's a hard time right now for me and my family and friends that's also involved. As for me, I'm trying so hard, you know, to keep a positive mind about the situation. People don't understand what I'm going through right now. And, you know, we really hope that, you know, this clemency hearing grant him mercy and, you know, give him relief. It hurts so much. And my daddy is my world, y'all. But y'all just keep the prayers up for real, though, man. He's all right. He's in the best of spirits. He's at peace with everything. And as long as my father is on peace, is at peace, then I'm at peace. It is going to hurt. And I know that I will see him again in heaven. Could she be the one who tells us who Marion Wilson is today? We sent her messages for an in-person interview about her father. That's not happening now. Maybe later this week. But time is running out. He may only have three days left to live with his execution so soon. I feel pressure to reach him, to speak with him in some way before sitting just a few feet in front of him during the last moment of his life. How could I watch a man die without giving him a chance to tell his own story? There is still a chance that this could all be put on hold. Wilson's attorneys presented a petition for clemency to the parole board, asking to delay his execution or perhaps even revisit the sentence from death to life without parole. That petition was put together by Wilson's attorneys to convince the four men and one woman on that board to give him a second chance to live. The parole board voted to make everything in that petition public information, and we were emailed a copy to download. At the very top of the document is a photo of Wilson and his daughter. It looks to be 10 or so years old. They're smiling, happy. They're standing inside the cinder block walls of a prison. It reminds me of those barbed wire Christmas visits they had together. He's wearing a white jumpsuit with a dark collar. His daughter has a wide smile and glasses. That image is the first impression Wilson's lawyers are trying to make on the board. Clearly, this is a plea based on emotion. From there, they wrote a detailed account of why they argue Wilson's execution should be called off or postponed. Our producers, Kira Frisbee and Maddie Ray, began digging in as soon as that file finished downloading. This is a big document, like 30 pages. Mm -hmm. Have you had a chance to look through it? Yeah, we have pretty thoroughly, actually. Um, There's some pretty heart-wrenching details in the petition. It essentially suggests that jurors of the case weren't necessarily privy to all the information. um, And the information um, may or may not have influenced their verdicts or their judgments or their viewpoints of the case of guilty or not guilty. What sort of information did, did they miss? So there was evidence uh, presented in the state habeas proceedings that pointed towards Marion's mother having substance abuse issues, uh, both drinking and drugs, um, during the time that she was pregnant with him. So one of the other things that they had mentioned in the petition was that she uh, didn't actually know that she was pregnant with Marion until about four or five months. So during that time, She was obviously taking substances, and that may or may not have caused brain development issues or brain damage. So is it a defense of 
my mom drank and used drugs when she was pregnant. That's why I couldn't help but be a murderer. Is that what they're saying? In the petition, they did say that because of these substances, they are equating that with the fact that he wasn't able to make competent decisions on his own. He didn't have a stable home. So he was not cared for. He was not. He was not cared for as a child. And I think that, uh, you know, in this petition for clemency, they had suggested, you know, that may have had some influence. You know, one of the jurors um, who was later spoken to actually had said that if she had been privy to the information of uh, child abuse and, you know, brain impairments and what have you, she wouldn't have voted for the death penalty. And then also something that stood out to me is that the story that they argue the night of the crime was different than all other records that we've come across. They argue that Marion Wilson never even entered the Walmart to find Donovan Parks. In all the reports, they say that he was seen in the checkout line with Robert Butts talking to Donovan Parks. Right. So in this petition for clemency, they're saying he wasn't even in the Walmart. He was Right. Was he was he... in the parking lot and he came across a friend who actually testified um, for him. She witnessed him. He walked over to her car. They chatted for however long. Robert Butts was in the Walmart with Donovan Parks. So that was something different. And then also when they came out of the Walmart, the attorneys are saying in this petition that Marion actually got into the back seat and that he had known that Robert Butts was planning to rob someone and that he had a gun, but he had no idea that his intention was to kill the man. After reading that petition, we have so many more questions about that night, but there are only three men who know exactly what happened, and two of them are dead. The other was scheduled for execution in just three days. We thought perhaps we had a chance at speaking with Marion Wilson when one of his attorneys sent Kira an email. We got an email from Mark Olive. This um, is the attorney for Marion Wilson Jr.? Yes, and he said he will not be commenting. No comment on the no execution, no not comment. talking. So I am going to send another email to him. So now we wait again. Kira requested a written statement. So the waiting game goes on even longer, waiting for any sort of response from Wilson's attorney, waiting for the parole board to rule on the case tomorrow, and waiting to find out if the execution will go forward as scheduled. And I'm waiting to see if my feelings about watching a man die will start to take over my focus. So thinking about what you know now about the crime and preparing for this execution on Thursday, what does it mean to you knowing that not only was Donovan Parks so young, but so was Robert Butts and Marion Wilson? I wish we could hear from him. I would like to know if he has regrets, if he has found any sort of rehabilitation or any good, any hope in this situation? Has he made something positive out of his life knowing that another life was taken? And is he ready to die? I realized last night that it's the kind of thing that keeps you up at night. I happened to wake up about 2 a.m. and that's what I was thinking about. The reality of what I would see, the lives that are connected to that, the lives connected to Marion Wilson Jr., as well as the lives connected to Donovan Parks. That's what's been on my mind today is this is the kind of thing that keeps you up at night. Describe particularly the emotions, not that it just kept you up at night. I mean, what are your actual feelings here? I've been talking to my 
family and friends about it. And everybody has a different reaction, which has been interesting. And it's also made me think of this from a lot of different points of view. Um, the question that really hit home with me is I was asked, why would you subject yourself to see something so dark, so negative? Why would you invite that darkness into your light? And I, I really had to think about that. I, I, and here's the, here's the bottom line is I got an email asking to serve as the media witness. As journalists, it's our job to, to witness events, to witness our government in action. It's our job to monitor what goes on in that room. Why wouldn't I do it? It's my job. That is my job. But I'm about to talk with someone else who'll join me in that execution chamber. It's his job, too. His name is Randall Savage. He's a reporter from WMAZ in Macon, our sister station. And it won't be his first time. He says he's seen seven executions. This week, that becomes eight. Does it get harder? Does it get easier? How how has it affected you? It's it's about about the same each time. I think... Uh, the woman was uh, probably the one, the most emotional one. He's talking about Kelly Gissendanner. She was convicted of orchestrating the murder of her husband. Her execution in 2015 was a big controversy for two reasons. First, she didn't actually kill her husband. She convinced someone else to do it. To the courts, being the mastermind was worthy of a death sentence. The other reason her death got so much attention was because she was the first female executed in Georgia since 1945. And as of today, June 17th, 2019, she was the last woman executed in the United States. As a reporter, I covered that execution from outside the prison. And I remember it kept getting delayed. First in February because of snowy weather in the South. The second delay came when someone noticed something looked off about the lethal drug ordered for her death. It appeared cloudy and perhaps was defective, so they pushed it off. That was in March. She was scheduled for execution again on September 29th, but that was delayed with appeals. And then finally, September 30th, that's the day Kelly Gissendanner was executed by lethal injection. It was reported that she cried and sang as witnesses watched the procedure begin. Randall told me what he remembers from that room. She came across as being really, really repentant of what happened. I mean, it doesn't excuse what she did, but uh, she came across as uh, appearing to be really, really repentant about that and not just uh, the death penalty thing. And once after the warden said proceed with the execution, she started singing. She was singing Amazing Grace. And that woman had a beautiful voice, and she kept singing right until that that, that, that juice got to her and just sort of kind of faded away. Just faded away. Is that what I should expect later this week? The reality of seeing someone executed sets in every time I learn more about the process. I read the last words of Wilson's accomplice, and to be honest, they're haunting me right now. It was just a phrase. He said, it burns, man. Spoken right as that lethal cocktail was injected into his bloodstream. What will Wilson say? It haunts me to think about anyone's last words in life, no matter who they are or what they did. Randall Savage was there to hear Robert Butts say that phrase, it burns, man. 
from the execution chamber. He told me what to expect later this week at Wilson's. Uh, it depends on what stage of appeal, that, uh, last minute appeals it is. You, you can be up there in that uh, waiting area for hours. Yeah, and, uh, I've heard that. I've heard it could take some time. Yeah, and but once after it starts rolling, it's over pretty quick after that. But uh, yeah, that, uh, it, that back when I first started doing those, they didn't have anything up there where they had you waiting. And mm-hmm. uh, the attorney general came by there one time and just happened to come over and visit with the media folks, and he says, "Anything we can do to make it more comfortable for you guys?" And we said, "Yeah, get us a TV." And the guy did. <laughs> so, oh, so, now, know. <laughs> so now there's a TV up there. The biggest well, problem we had biggest problem we had over the TV was that a bunch of the men, the Braves were playing. We wanted to watch the ball game. And a bunch of women uh, witnesses, they wanted to watch uh, Yes to the Dress or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. They, they give you a, a wooden pencil, old number two wooden pencil, and a little uh, notepad. You can take notes. But they don't allow talking inside the inside the thing. Only only talking is done is over there inside the death chamber itself, where the warden is talking. Are you sitting with other witnesses besides the media witnesses, like any family members of victims, or perhaps yeah, of, yeah. And the family there'll be family members of the victims if they choose to be there. There'll be uh, family members of the guy who's been executed if they choose to be there. There'll be some law enforcement people there. And the prosecutors, uh, people who made the arrest. I learned the victim's brother and dad will be in that room too. We'll seeing their son's murderer executed, bring them peace, justice. On our next episode, two fathers on different sides of the death penalty debate talk about each of their family's sense of loss and the role the death penalty plays in it. And I hear advice from a friend on what really goes on inside that room. I've never really been in jail before. I've never been immersed in it, particularly a state prison. I was surprised at how frightening it was. I felt like I was just, you know, purposeless and nameless. The next episode of number 1500 is now streaming.